kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. In our last study, we considered the historical background of the events introduced in Acts chapter 15. And all of this material had to do with the developing movement within the church, which Luke calls the Circumcision Party, and which is commonly called in biblical studies the Judaizing Party. To understand this issue with the Judaizers, there are a few preliminary points that must be grasped. One of the essential elements of the Christian message is the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said that the reason he was not ashamed to preach the gospel throughout the whole world was that in the gospel, God's plan for justifying men by faith is revealed, Romans 1 and 17. The doctrine of justification by faith states that because all men are sinners, it is impossible for them to be justified before God by works of law. God is a righteous judge, and by any standard of law, God will only regard a man as righteous if he keeps the whole law, Galatians 3, 10-12, and 5, 3. Therefore, sinners are hopelessly condemned if they are under law. But the gospel reveals that through Christ, God has accomplished a plan for justifying sinners by faith. In this plan, the grounds or basis of justification is the death of Jesus Christ. Christ's death takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29. That is, it makes the expiation of sin possible for all men. And if sin is taken away, then God's wrath is turned away and men are restored to good standing or justification before Him. The means of justification is therefore the pardon or forgiveness of sins, which God grants on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. The condition of justification is faith in Jesus Christ. This faith, properly understood, is trust in the work of Jesus and loyalty to His Lordship by the relentless pursuit of His will in love for Him. It begins with baptism, and it continues in a life-consuming pursuit of the fullness of God's glory through submission to God's authority. So, Christ is the basis, pardon is the means, and faith is the condition. The doctrine of the Judaizers, which developed very early in the history of the church, taught that after one became a follower of the Messiah by faith and baptism, 
Justification was conditioned on keeping certain commandments from the law of Moses, specifically circumcision, Sabbath observance, and perhaps other holy days, and principles of ritual cleanness. The word Judaize means to become Jewish, as in Esther chapter 8 and verse 17. And that was the idea. Those who were Jews and became Christians must continue to remain distinct from the nations by these laws, and those who were Gentiles and became Christians must then become part of the distinct community by the same laws. There were two problems with Judaizer theology, one more severe than the other. The first problem was that it erroneously taught that the law of Moses, the legal code given to Israel through the Sinaitic Covenant, was part of God's eternal purpose in making men right with Him. This was false. The law of Moses had in fact been abrogated by the death of Jesus Christ, and Christ had a law of His own by which the world, Jew and Gentile, would express loyalty to God. It was the will of God expressed through Christ, not Moses, that men and women would relentlessly pursue to manifest their love to Him and bring Him glory. Many early Christians, even the apostles and leaders of the church at Jerusalem, seem not to have understood this for some time. They treated the commandments of Christ simply as additions to their old Jewish lifestyles, at least in most respects. The second problem, however, was more severe. The Judaizer doctrine was a Christianized iteration of the legalistic self-righteousness which Jesus had condemned in the Pharisees. Instead of teaching that the condition of pardon was faith in Jesus, manifest by a relentless pursuit of his will, they taught that faith in Jesus was manifest by being Jewish, which was accomplished by keeping those three particular instructions from the law of Moses. Changing the conditions for pardon, however, was only the beginning. As in the case of the unbelieving Pharisees, these instructions soon became the means of justification for the Judaizer Christians. They were right with God because they kept these laws, and those who did not keep them could not possibly be right with Him. Then, their own self-made righteousness, which according to the standard of God was not righteousness at all, became the basis of their justification. At this point, they were really seeking justification in their own eyes and in the eyes of others, rather than the justification of God. And when they reached that position, Paul said they were no longer Christians. They were severed from Christ, fallen from grace, and false brethren. Galatians 2, 4 and 5, 4. Well, the second problem was more intensely the target of Paul's opposition for two reasons. First, Paul said it was not merely a confusion of which rules to follow, it was another gospel, which was not another but a perversion of the gospel, Galatians 1, 6-9. Second, while the problem regarding the law of Moses would be more or less curtailed in time, both through increased understanding on the part of Christians and through the then-coming judgment against Jerusalem with the destruction of the temple and the end of the Jewish economy, Yet the problem of self-righteous legalism would never go away. It could be practiced with a short list of Christ's commandments as easily as with a short list of Moses' commandments. This problem, therefore, was more dangerous. The irony was that the Judaizing doctrine became popular through the fear 
that justification by faith would lead to lawlessness and rampant disregard for God's instruction, what is called antinomianism. Evidently, there were some people who were misusing the idea in that way to justify things like the neglect or abuse of the poor and even sexual immorality and idolatry. Yet, Paul argued that while those who turn the grace of God into lewdness should be opposed, legalism was not the answer. Legalism, which emphasized careful obedience to a few commandments, generally highly visible and external ones, tended to promote vainglory in regard to the things done well, and at the same time to cover up failure to obey several other commandments, which were dismissed, diminished, and excused. Thus, legalism actually resulted in as much lawlessness, and often the same kinds, as antinomianism. The real answer is uncompromising dedication to God's system, justification by faith. Paul dedicated most of his teaching career to promoting the truth that justification by faith gives advantage to the spirit over the flesh, to God over Satan, and has the actual power to redeem and transform sinners into practitioners of true holiness and righteousness and justice to the sole glory of God. Paul's battle with the Judaizer doctrine began when he first encountered it during his trip to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. It became more intense when it came to Antioch through a message from James, who had evidently become sympathetic to it because of his concerns about antinomianism, and caused Peter, Barnabas, and the other Jews there to begin dividing the church by withholding full fellowship from the Gentile believers. Just as Paul dealt with that issue, he received word that Judaizer teachers had been sent among the congregations he recently established in Galatia and were leading them astray. So he wrote his epistle to them in response, and seemingly before it had time to circulate, Luke reports that the Judaizer teachers came personally to Paul's own home congregation of Antioch to try again. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We do not know who these men were, yet it is clear that they claimed to be Christians and to represent the original community of believers in and around Jerusalem. They do not simply claim that a man is justified or right with God through circumcision, but they say that it is necessary for him to be saved. In other words... They claimed that keeping certain commandments of the law of Moses, which would place one into the Jewish community, was a condition for the pardon of sins. Verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, Luke uses a figure of speech called elitities, an ironic understatement in which an affirmative is expressed by the negative of its contrary. So the meaning is that this visit and the thing these men preached caused a tremendous upset to the peace of the church, and Paul and Barnabas opposed them vigorously. We can only imagine what Paul might have said, since he was calling them false brethren from the first time he met them. And this invasion of his home was just the latest of many unwelcome intrusions into his work for the Lord. So after a short time, Luke continues, they, that is, the leadership of the Antioch congregation, determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders 
about this question. Luke does not say what other representatives might have accompanied them, but likely they took along some of the young men they were training as evangelists, and perhaps some of the other Jewish Christians who could testify that they had seen God working among the Gentiles. Why did they feel that Paul and Barnabas should go up to Jerusalem? Luke says the purpose of the trip was to discuss with the apostles and elders about this question. The question they wanted to discuss was probably complex. First, they would want to know if the leaders, the apostles and elders, really endorsed what these men were saying. When Paul and Barnabas had visited Jerusalem six years earlier, those leaders had not agreed with the Judaizers. And while they had determined that they should continue to focus on the Jews, they had endorsed the divine mission of Paul to the Gentiles and the things that he was sharing with them from the Lord. What had changed? If, in fact, they had vacillated on this matter, there's no doubt that Paul was ready to preach the gospel to those who were at Jerusalem also, uh, to appropriate his words in another place. What is important to establish here at the outset is that this event is often mischaracterized as an ecumenical council or a meeting of representatives from all the churches throughout the world to hammer out the proper Christian understanding of the issues under dispute. That is a very inappropriate caricature of what was taking place here. Christians from Antioch were going to Jerusalem to brothers they knew well and with whom they had a working relationship because some who they judged false teachers claimed to be coming to their congregation with the Jerusalem brethren's support and backing. It is true that Luke seems to suggest that all the apostles were there, but that was because they had not yet gone out from Jerusalem, as we will discuss shortly in a special study. Verse 3, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. The work that began as a result of Saul's persecution has now produced churches throughout these heretofore excluded regions. What must Paul have thought as he met these people who became Christians because, in his ignorance, he had made havoc of the church in Jerusalem and caused some of the believers there to flee for their lives? But they had gone everywhere preaching the word, Acts 8 and verse 4. And by his mighty providence, the Lord Jesus had used Saul's evil for the world's good. The people of Phoenicia and Samaria seemed to be those who were counted nearer to the Jews than the Gentiles and whose inclusion had not caused any real controversy. But they themselves would have realized that the conversion of the Gentiles was a further manifestation of the same grace that had saved them. So they had great joy at the news. But a different response was awaiting in Judea. Verse 4, And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. Again, stress is laid on the fact that the work which had taken place throughout the world to bring all these different people to Jesus was the work of God. Paul, Barnabas, Peter, Philip, and anyone else who participated was merely the servant of the Lord, operating according to his gracious provision and acting as the vehicle of God's wisdom and work and victory-securing power. Verse 5, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here we learn the source of the Judaizing doctrine. 
and it is not especially surprising since it is a form of legalistic self-righteousness, and that was precisely what the Pharisees who did not believe preached and practiced, and incidentally what Jesus opposed in them most vehemently. Yet these Pharisees are identified as those who believed. Now Gareth Reese follows McGarvey in supposing that these were completely insincere saboteurs who infiltrated the church to overthrow it from the inside when they discovered that opposition from without did not accomplish much against it. There is some support for this view. In Galatians 2 and verse 4, Paul described them as false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. We must admit that sounds rather plain, but it must be harmonized with other texts. Paul himself had been a Pharisee, according to Philippians 3.5, and as with the case of Simon the Samaritan, Luke does not say that these men mentioned in Acts 15 appeared to believe or claimed to believe. He doesn't call them false believers. He says they believed. So I would suggest the best understanding is that there were indeed insincere men who had surreptitiously attached themselves to the community of believers at Jerusalem, and they were like their Gnostic counterparts in the later years of the early church, not of the true body of Christ, but they presented themselves as though they were, perhaps to gain personal power, perhaps for money, perhaps to try to undermine the success of the church, or perhaps for motives so wicked that no reason could be attached to them. But there were others from their old party who had sincerely believed. And these unfortunate persons were easily deceived by the charlatans, in some respect, no doubt, due to party loyalty, but also due to the fact that the frauds knew how to appeal to their weaknesses and prejudices and to modify the Christian message just enough that it appears they could have Christ and still retain the carnal, self-exalting elements of their old religious attitudes. False brethren can build a following of thoughtless and careless brethren. But to follow one who is not a follower of Christ is ultimately to be led away from Christ with him. Indeed, this deadly spiritual cancer had infected the church in Jerusalem, and it was vital that it be opposed and expelled for the very survival of the people of Christ. Martin Luther called justification by faith the article upon which the church stands or falls. I think Paul would have agreed. To be right on this matter is the path forward to growth in the knowledge of God concerning all things and true spiritual maturity. But to be wrong on this matter is to ensure spiritual ruin and wreck and enslavement in sin. We must be very diligent to examine ourselves and our faith in this regard. If the apostles and elders of Jerusalem could miss this infiltration and this infection, we can as well. Self-righteousness is always present, and we must guard against it because it will cost us Christ. And if we lose Christ, we have lost everything. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. I'm Clinton DeFrance. I'm a Christian Bible student and evangelist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this podcast is made available by the Congregation of Christians, of which I am a member in East Tulsa. Please come meet us if you have the chance. You can learn more about us at our website, 
tulsachurchofchrist.com. Our music is from Andrew Martin, a very talented Christian brother in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. You can check out his SoundCloud for more beautiful and uplifting productions from him. For news, articles, previous episodes, or to request a Bible study or a lecture series with me, visit vbvpodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a good review if you enjoy the studies. God bless and have a great week. From all the dark places of earth, heathen races, oh, see how the thick shadows fly. The voice of salvation awakes every nation, come over and help us, they cry. The kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's better exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. With praising and singing and jubilant ringing, their arms of rebellion cast down. At last every nation, the Lord of salvation, with glory their effort shall crown. The kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea.